Joshi, guys, a lot of cricket to get to since we last talked. England and India just wrapped up their first ODI as of this recording. India with a big victory there after a victory in the T20 series. West Indies are looking strong in their first test match after some limited over series wins against Sri Lanka. And we'll talk about some New Zealand action as well. But first, we'll get to the England-India test series which sees India win three games to one, and they go on to the World Test Championship, and they will face New Zealand after Australia decided not to go ahead with their test tour against South Africa due to COVID-19 concerns. India looked shaky after the first test match, and granted, Joe Root was a big reason why, but they stormed back in the next three test matches, and the last two was basically... India dominating in all phases of the game. Your guys' biggest takeaway from this test series for India? For me personally, I would say just like that resilience that they have um, in terms of the vets being there, uh, Kohli didn't really click for the you know first two, first three matches. Uh, the young talent coming in showed the resilience that, that you would expect veterans to show. And basically, after the first test, they just dominated the next three. Like they won by three seventeen, they won by ten wickets, and they won by an innings and twenty five or some change like that. And basically, I think that they just have are backing their talent to come in. Uh, they're letting Rishabh Pant play Rishabh Pant shots. Uh, they're trusting their young guys, especially the bowlers. And I think going forward, BCCI and the selectors really have not a bad problem to have, but they really have a problem of understanding who to pick for certain conditions and which matches and which opponents they're playing. Yeah, especially that last part that you mentioned about knowing where your players actually play well. Um, we could see for sure that the spinners came in. It was a completely different lineup than what uh, their last series was. And Akshay Patel and Ravi Chandran Ashwin really were the highlight of this series. Despite that first match, like you mentioned, Chinmay, largely on the shoulders of Joe Root. Um, after that, it was just a pure spin clinic put on by those two. And the England batsmen just could not get going. So, yeah, I think they found out different strategies for different conditions, and I think they're really building up the test side to play overseas and now, as usual, at home. But this was just an absolute clinic. Yeah, this was uh, the series we've all been waiting for for such a long time. And in some ways it lived up to the hype, in some ways it didn't. You know, we I thought we'd see better England performances after the first match. They definitely struggled to adapt to the to the spin-friendly pitches compared to India, which is not surprising given uh, how spin-friendly pitches are in India compared to England, which is usually more pace-friendly. But, yeah, the biggest takeaway has got to be the the depth of the Indian team, and that's definitely a recurring theme coming into the uh, limited-over series as well. But, you know, Rishabh Pant had an amazing series. Sundar uh, performed really well, and Akshar Patel, we saw him all through the wickets. You know, this wasn't really a standout series for... Many of the top order batsmen, Rohit Sharma played uh, pretty well, but otherwise, you know, Kohli, Pujara, Rahane, nothing too special from them. And, you know, India still blew England away. Yeah, couldn't agree more with what you guys have been saying. One thing I do want to point out is India did not have a spot in the test championship in the bag going into that final test. As you remember, they needed either a win or a draw in that final test to secure that spot. So there was still a bit of pressure there despite coming off some landslide results in the second and third test. Before we talk about sort of that final test and and what India needed to do there and how they overcame that pressure, England just a complete slide after the first test when it looked like this was going to be a very challenging series given that Joe Root was in form. They just like fell apart and there was no real explanation as to why it just looked like everyone was in bad form at the same time yeah definitely i mean i think the biggest the biggest problem that they had here was there were just no adjustments made by the batting lineup i mean continued after the second game 
where they they really got beaten pretty handily. No adjustments by the batsmen to maybe come out a little more, you know, not sit back on the crease as much, move their feet a little bit more. You saw them try to take some chances here and there, maybe go over the top. But for most of it, it was just like they were sitting ducks for these spinners to just attack the stumps. Um, you know, we, we saw the ball that doesn't spin. That was the huge one for Upshur Patel. So the ball that doesn't spin versus the one that just spins a ton. And there was no way to negate it for them. You see the Indian batsmen coming out, getting to the pitch of the ball, um, making small adjustments. You see, especially Rohit Sharma, you know, playing some different shots, moving back and forth along the crease. And that just wasn't done by the England batsmen. I think that that was their downfall. And really the reason why no one could score any runs and were just bogged down for three matches straight. Another thing I wanted to point out was I feel like it really exposed England's spin depth. Um, I know they were they were rotating players, but, you know, India's spinners were looking amazing on the surfaces. And Jack Leach bowled pretty well, but Dom Best was really awful. And Moinelli bowled well in this one match that he played, but... You know, the England test team is built more around pacers, which is, you know, what more their home conditions rely upon. And they got exposed. Um, like, you know, if you're forcing Joe Root to be your second or your third spinner, that's not that's not ideal. And even he probably didn't bowl enough. So, you know, the, you also see the strength of the Indian test team where we have these proven pacers, the young pacers still bowling well. And now we have these spinners that can equally take over a game. Yeah, Anish, you talked about the way England was built and and are built for their home conditions more so than overseas conditions. India seems like they're finding a way to mix and match better than some of these other teams have. And coming off a big series win in Australia, it was important for them to get back to home conditions and get those spin those spinners were the key, Ashwin and, and Aksar Patel. That final test match was was huge for India because they looked like at the beginning of this test championship, they looked like they were going to cruise into the final the way the test championship circuit unfolded with COVID and the shortened, you know, tours, the called off tours, the points table adjustments, they still needed a win or a draw in that final test match. And they won handily. I mean, it wasn't even close. England completely folded and granted they didn't have much to play for, but that was sort of the commanding performance. If you're an India fan that you really wanted to see and they finally delivered in that test match, that had to be good for Virat Kohli and company, right? Yeah, and it was a similar comeback to what India's India had made in the series against Australia. You know, they looked like absolute garbage in the first test there as well, and a real testament to them to be able to turn it around the way they did. I think it really speaks a lot about Kohli's captaincy. I know people have been talking a lot about whether there's other better captains on the team, whether or not he should be replaced, but I think... For the most part, I think five of the six biggest test wins for India have come under Kohli. Um, he's he won, you know, he won in twenty eighteen, won that series down in Australia. Really, was a springboard. Uh, I know he wasn't there in December when they won in Australia, but it's still, you know, he still has a hand in picking the team, the tactics, the strategy, and then now this series here where they absolutely dominated. Um, I, I don't think that people should really question his captaincy anymore. Maybe his form, but. Uh, that just can turn around any time for him. This last match, like you guys, you, you said it. I mean, it, it was just an absolute beatdown. We've talked about why it was a beatdown. It was just an absolute spin clinic, and England just couldn't adjust. And so, yeah, I mean, going into this test, World Test Championship, that's, that's a great way to end it. And, you know, the series just got better and better for them. So a lot of excitement for this World Test Championship. Before we preview and predict the Test Championship final, we have to talk about Rishabh Bunt. Because he just keeps scoring runs. Is this a patch of good form? Or is this something more than that? And India have lacked this in the test side for a long time. And they finally found a guy who can score runs. Maybe we've talked about the consistency might not be there long term. But this is a guy down the order who India are letting play basically a limited overs cricket in the test format. And so far it's worked. How sustainable is it? Will it be sustainable all the way to the Test Championship final? It's hard to say. I would hesitate to say that, you know, he's a groundbreaking, uh, you know, like worldwide game changer because I don't know if he's been, he hasn't been tested in English swinging conditions, uh, you know, June when the ball swings in England, great pitches. But uh, I think there's something to watch out for. Obviously, teams and opponents 
opposing teams and players have said that playing against a bunt in a purple patch full swinging is one of the more difficult things to do in test cricket because he could, as, as he showed repeatedly, he could take the match away from you in one innings. And yeah, I don't know if, like, like, like your question was whether he's anything new to test circuit. and I, I don't know. I would hesitate to call it that. But, I mean, I think they should definitely enjoy it while he lasts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just hard to argue with the form that he's been in. I mean, just coming off these last two test series, he's just been special this entire time. A strike rate of close to 100, a bunch of 90s, a century in that last match. I mean, he's in form, and it's hard to take someone who's that in form out of a lineup. Um, of course, the conditions, like Ashe mentioned, are going to be different. But, but when you're seeing the ball that well, I think you have to be in the side. It also really helped him that he found some capable partners in the lower order that could stick around with him so he could bat for even longer. It's been well known with India for a while that our bowlers have always struggled to bat. And so after number seven, things really go down the drain. And that was another huge plus in the series that he had capable batsmen at the other end. 100% agreed. It's crucial that someone like not only they're not really only relying on Jadeja to do that it's crucial that Ashwin uh, Akshar Washington Sundar even Shardul Tagore can you know swing a bat and finally for once India is not the one facing the tail issues yeah not yet we'll see how things go down the road when it comes to the test match tail for India let's quickly look at the world test championship final it'll be India against New Zealand I believe Ashe and I correctly predicted that when we made predictions ahead of some test series that were going to be played. Australia ended up calling off their tour of South Africa. They attempted to deem themselves essential workers and get the vaccine uh, for COVID before going on the tour, and their government denied them, and so therefore they called off the tour. I think that was uh, ultimately the wise decision for the Australian government and who knows if Australia continued and played that tour, maybe we're talking about a different matchup, but it is India and it is New Zealand. And these are the two most informed test teams at the moment. New Zealand has absolutely run through every opponent that they've had at home in this test championship circuit. India looks like the best team on the test tour right now uh, after their absolute domination against England. And I think both squads have shaped up and found their best 11. So I think this is the right matchup. I know the process has been questioned. I know Virat Kohli has been outspoken about the rules being changed and all of a sudden things have happened that, uh, you know, forced these rules to be changed. But ultimately we got, I believe, the right result and the two best teams are in. This is going to be an absolutely fascinating game because there's no obvious weakness for either team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we were talked about earlier, I mean, India, for one, has found their lineup to play on different conditions, um, you know, different weather conditions, different pitch conditions, different batting conditions, um, whether it's going to be a high-scoring game, low-scoring game, they've been able to tweak, you know, that all-rounder, what they need to be skilled at. So, and New Zealand is the same. The depth is just incredible. They have a lot of people. They're fast bowling, especially on this England turf it's there's a lot of depth there and a a lot of firepower so yeah I mean these teams are are extremely skilled I think it's going to be a great matchup I think the key to look for is that New Zealand pace attack against this Indian batting lineup can both of them adjust to new conditions they haven't played here before they'll have some practice time um, before the actual match but it's going to be a fun one like you said Chin basically the build-up to this game and the match itself is I think you really couldn't ask for Obviously, both teams are phenomenal at home, and you really couldn't ask for a better venue than a neutral ground. Um, like, not Lords anymore, Southampton, but whatever. Neutral ground, and I think, realistically think, that in a one-off match, I would give the slight edge to New Zealand, because those pace bowlers, like, if there's any better swinging attack in the world, I, I can't name one, but Tim Saudi, Matt Henry, Lockie, Trent Bolt, Neil Wagner, he's like, you know, number two or number three test bowler in the world. I think those those guys will give India trouble on a on a green swinging and seeming pitch. Yeah, that's going to be quite a, quite a battle. The New Zealanders they've got a lot of height in their bowling, and short pitch bowling is one of their strengths too. Even if the ball isn't swinging, and you know, Indian batsmen aren't always built to face the short ball. Um, you, you didn't see a whole lot of that type of bowling from the English English bowlers and. 
Yeah, I'm I'm worried these all these guys can bowl 140s even up in the 150s, so it's going to be a dandy. The last time these two teams met, India went down to New Zealand and got thoroughly beat 2-0. It wasn't even really that close. But the good news for India is that they've made some significant changes to their lineup. And Rishabh Pant is playing way better than he played down there for that two-match series. One name to watch in this one for me is Henry Nichols. He is slowly creeping up that test rankings chart in, in the ICC rankings. He's had a great run of form. He scored a century in New Zealand's tour against the West Indies, I believe. He also had some big scores against Pakistan. He's one to watch for this series for me. Uh, we know the Kane Williamsons. We know the Ross Taylors. We know some of those other big bats are going to be there for both sides. But Henry Nichols is the guy who I think could swing this series or this test match, this test championship final uh, in New Zealand's favor with the bat. It's prediction time. I'm going to go in a one-off match. I think the Pacers for New Zealand do enough damage. I agree with Ashe. I think it's the best pace attack for tests in the world right now. Saudi, Bolt, Jameson, Wagner. You can even throw in Lockie Ferguson, Matt Henry if you absolutely need to if there's injury uh, or whoever's in better form. And I think their batting lineup does just enough, has been in just enough form to to take this test championship final. I'm going to take Team India. I'm going to have to agree with Shane and Chinma here. I also think that New Zealand's fast bowling just outdoes India. I think, unfortunately for India, their, their best players, Pujar and Kohli, didn't really have to step up to the plate in the last series because they were sort of bailed out, not in the best form, and I think that's going to cost India. And while I, while I think India might be a slightly better team, you know, more depth. Uh, I think on a one-off, on a neutral pitch, uh, New Zealand has the edge. Let's see if this final actually swings in New Zealand's favor after the last couple have gone south for them. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss India's T20 series against England and how the T20 World Cup squad is shaping up for the men in blue. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Welcome back to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. You can check us out on Facebook at the Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at the Follow On. Of course, all of our content at followoncricket.com. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. We're talking India-England T20 series. It was back and forth. England went up 1-0. India levels the series. England goes back up 2-1. And then India takes the last two matches. And they get the last two matches defending a total Whereas in the first three matches, the team chasing was the one that ended up winning the match. Before we actually talk about the cricket, Anish, I want to go to you because for the first two matches, there was a half capacity crowd based on what I've seen as attendance figures and the capacity of the stadium in Ahmedabad. And let's be real, uh, they may have asked for a mask upon entry. They may have tried to distance the seating. But when you saw it on the big screen, there was no masks and no distancing. And lo and behold, COVID cases in Gujarat started to climb over the next couple days. And they had to play the last three matches behind closed doors with no fans in the stands. We've talked about this so much over the past year with the pandemic and the protocols and what needs to be done. Your thoughts on what you witnessed in the first two matches. This is your forum to, to unload if you if you wish to. Well, I will say starting off on looking on the positive side, it was fun to watch some cricket matches with a full crowd. Uh, uh, enjoying cricket with the full fan atmosphere was definitely something we've missed over the past year. So I did enjoy that part. But other than that, it was a really, really irresponsible move. I mean... This is this pandemic is by no means eradicated. Most of the people in India probably still aren't vaccinated at this point, and having it a full stadium with so many people right next to each other and probably with next to no restrictions was just a, a recipe for disaster. So they got what they deserved. Yeah, I will say that based on the figures that I saw, I believe they were at fifty percent capacity 
It didn't look like it. I'll, I'll admit to that. It definitely did not look like they were at 50% capacity. It didn't sound like they were at 50% capacity. But based on the attendance figures and the stadium capacity that I've seen, it did appear that they tried to restrict that. But I think I 100% agree with you. It was irresponsible. And, you know, ultimately when you, when you give people a choice and you don't regulate their behavior, it leads to situations like this. And so ultimately the consequence is that nobody gets to come in and, and watch the game. Uh, even the people who may have followed the protocols ultimately get dinged on this one. So I think that's important to recognize. And the way that you put it, I think, is completely accurate. And hopefully, you know, BCCI learns from this. We have the IPL coming up. I don't think there are going to be fans in the stadiums for those games. I certainly hope not based on what we saw, that, that you simply cannot trust people to be responsible in these situations. Yeah, I hope I hope they can uh, come up with a better system moving forward. It's unfortunate, but I find it. I, man, I would bet a lot of my salary that 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 stadium was more than fifty percent full. Yeah, I'm not going to fact check you on that, but I'll uh, I'll try to see what I can come up with based on the numbers that I've seen. I think it was half capacity, but again, didn't look like it. Didn't sound like it based on what we saw in the match. Let's talk about the actual cricket now because. This was probably the big series for everybody coming into a T20 World Cup year that was going to be played in India. This was important to see how England, widely regarded as the best white ball side in the world, was going to fare against India, widely deemed the second best T20 side in the world, in Indian conditions. And through three matches, and maybe even the fourth and fifth match, they fared pretty well. Ultimately, in the back end of those two matches at the end, they weren't able to get that chase down. But I think England with Roy and Butler have to be feeling pretty good about how they perform despite coming up on the short end of the stick in the series. I mean, their, their openers and their top order as a whole performed pretty well, but I think it was pretty concerning that they didn't get many key lower order contributions. You know, it seemed like once India was able to take out their top order, that England just wilted, and that's why they were India was able to win two matches with um, putting up totals first. You know, this team, England team, is built to chase, and they've been so successful with it in the past, and that's predicated on getting lower order contributions as well. And they got they got none of that, so that was uh, that's something to keep an eye on moving forwards. Yeah, completely agree with you, Darren. I mean, I mean, the games that England won, really, it didn't get down to their sixth or seventh batsman they they usually won it in their top five um at least two of them so yeah the, the lower order really underperformed um and that's like Anish said that's one of their that's their batting depth in odis as well and t20s is something they really hang their hat on and that's not the case right now so although conditions are different you know they still didn't get too much time to get used to it but competitive series so good there but i agree with the middle order uh, concerns. Uh, kind of to piggyback off of that, uh, the matches that India lost, you they really didn't get any runs at all from their top three. So you could really you could really kind of predict the loss if you look at those trends. Because if the top three don't pop, that that onus lies on the middle and lower middle order to do to score quickly, and that's not really ever the case unless you have a depth like England does. But yeah, just basically the the matches that they won, India won, they got good starts from the top three. We'll talk about some of the India performers a little bit later because there's three or four that I really want to highlight as sort of feel-good stories coming off of this series. One thing that a lot of English commentators have put out there is that Ben Stokes should move up the order. I believe he was batting at five in this series or they need to juggle the middle order a little bit. My personal opinion is that Johnny Bairstow should move down the order to be more of that power hitter at the back end. And they do need another guy at six or seven because Sam Curran, I, you know, I, I think he's a capable all-rounder, but the bat, he just has not proven it yet on the international level. So I think they need to figure out whether he's going to be the guy for them in a World Cup or whether they have to go back to Moin Ali. But I think Ben Stokes should be elevated up the order either at three or four based on the, the situation. You guys agree Ben Stokes moving up the order for England in the T20 World Cup? I'm not sure I do. I mean, you know, like 
you're not going to put him where Roy Butler and Milan are. I mean, Milan is your top T20 batsman. Like you're not you're not going to move him out of that spot. Butler and Roy, their track record speak for themselves. Um, I mean, maybe you could argue for putting Stokes at number four, but I think uh, you know Oyen Morgan is supposed to be that that transition to the lower order where he he has a power to hit. He can stay through an innings and. He's completely flopped during this series, and he also completely flopped during the last IPL, which is why KKR had such a hard time. They invested so much money in this guy, and he hardly contributed. So, you know, we got he's got to really step up. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like we mentioned, the middle order was just not good, and that starts with Ben Stokes. So, of course, the big topic of conversation has been, does he go up? Um, I agree with Chinmay in the fact that the only person that I could see him potentially replacing is maybe at four, Johnny Barristow. But regardless, yeah, I don't see him making it into that top three unless he's going to open. I know he did open a little bit in the IPL, did pretty well there, but it's a very tough decision to to remove Josh Butler off of that opening spot. I think Roy has to be a lock-in. I mean, he, he can just take matches over, and there's not many openers that can play like he does when he gets going. So, yeah, it's tough for me to put him up there, and I don't think he, he should be opening, and definitely not number three with the form that Mellon has been in. Yeah, the yeah, short answer man. for that part is no. He's he's not going to be opening. We know that Roy and Butler are pretty much locked in at the at the one and two. So it was a question of four was I think the big one because he was coming in at five yeah. in this spot, and then Morgan would be at six. But I am of the opinion that they should just completely flip that, and Bearstow should be at six, and then Morgan would come in at five. I think that's the easiest solution if there is a solution to what really shouldn't be a problem, but England found out that they need some semblance of a middle order. And yeah, Stokes is the key in that because he's the one that if he hits in those middle overs can really take the game away. So yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but he, yeah, he's not opening. Yep. Agreed there. I mean, yeah, I, I can definitely see him coming up to four and him so true with Barristow. I mean, like you said, I think Barristow is, especially in T20s, takes a lot more chances and, you know, maybe Stokes is what they need at four, especially if their openers don't click and they get into some trouble. Based on what you guys had all said, if Bearstow is the one taking chances, then he, it, it makes sense because he's the one that can do that because he knows he has backup behind him. He's at least Owen Morgan and Stokes behind him if he, if he, you know, like takes too many chances. Um, whereas in a different situation, if you want some stability, then you would just bring in Stokes or Morgan up one. And I think it really depends on match situation. And, you know, like the, the last three, the three twenty matches were, besides the, the fifth match, they were all like decently close. And I think you just play the situation at that point. And if a couple things have gone England's way, we would be looking at, you know, a flip-flop series. Completely agree with that. I think one or two things did go India's way, especially in the last match to give them the T20 series win. Let's talk about India's key performers. And, and the big one, obviously, Virat Kohli, the captain, his test form was in question. People were talking about whether he has lost a little bit of his edge, what makes him the best batsman in the world. And he showed, at least in the back end of this series, he showed why he's still one of the best in limited overs. And maybe he takes a little bit of time to get going in T20s, but when he clicks at the end of an innings, those scores really add up, and India need that if they want to lift the T20 World Cup. They need that Virat Kohli that, that they saw in, in the back end of this series. He was just absolutely superb. Playing, Watching him play and even like you know looking at his scores, but especially watching him play, you can tell that he really hits another gear when he's playing those defensive prods that just sail for six. He's just timing it so well, seeing the ball like a beach ball. It's really incredible to watch. He's playing some ODI-worthy cover drives and straight drive shots in a T20, and really no bowler can take take that away from him when he's on form like that. So definitely he's playing like he's a much bigger hitter than he is, but he's doing it with clean strokes, and it's a beautiful thing to see, and that really gives India like those 30 extra runs that are the difference maker in a series at the end of the innings, whether it's batting first or whether it's chasing. I thought it was really interesting what he uh, said after he opened for the first time in the series, saying that he was thinking about and maybe even like thinking about opening for India in the T20 World Cup, and he plans to open for RCB during the IPL season. That really speaks to how well the middle order have performed, that he feels comfortable enough to move up to the top. Um, 
you know, India got a lot of great middle order contributions during the series, but also what does this mean for, for Shikhar and for KL Rahul moving forwards? I mean, they're going to have to show out in this, uh, in the upcoming IPL to keep their opener spot. So the thing about that is that speaks volumes about, like you said, Kohli's confidence in the middle order, but also in himself because he can and he has to sometimes play that versatile role of uh, being the anchor in the innings and like a Kohli type of batsman sometimes does take a couple, you know, a few overs to get his eye in and then that's when he starts going to top. But Kohli is a type of batsman who, you know, he's not going to hit sixes from the outset, but if he's there in the end, uh, he has his eye in enough. And like you said, I think Kohli as an opener, you know, it depends on the situation. Um, like he could, I, I, he could easily, you know, gel with a Kale Rahul or a Rohit or you know, Ishan Kishan can come to one, one down and, you know, take that spot. Uh, so it really depends on the situation and, the T20 World Cup is in India, so I think no one but Kohli to make that call. Depending on he's played on all those pitches before, it's like yeah, it's, it's hard to say that that's the bad move. Yeah, not much to add there. I mean, we we all know what Kohli's capable of. I think you know there's been a lot of talk about whether he should go and open. Um, you know, there's other players on that Indian lineup who are a much better job of just power hitting the ball, whereas like mentioned, Kohli can really time it, especially with the new ball. And in India, there's no one better than the timer of the new ball than, you know, Kohli and then Rohit, of course, is up there. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think regardless, you always want Kohli in your lineup, despite the fact that he struggled. And it'll be fun to see what he does in the World Cup. And Anish, I'm glad you mentioned that comment because the reason he is probably going to consider opening was the form of Kale Rahul in this series, which was uh, pretty much a disaster from all perspectives. Uh, I have been on the KL Rahul train for him and Rohit to be the openers. I think all the numbers leading up to this series showed why KL Rahul was the better choice, even though you want that left-hand, right-hand combination that so many people love. And after this series, I mean, there's just no defense. There's no defense that I can come up with as to why KL Rahul should still be opening uh, in a World Cup match. I have no answer for that because... It was, it was really bad. If he performs in the IPL, then you can maybe look at him to, to have another shot. But I think this IPL is going to determine who gets that opener spot, whether it's Shikhar Dhawan or KL Rahul. I think it hinges entirely on what they do in this domestic uh, franchise season. And I can't really argue with that because that's a huge spot for India going into this World Cup. You've also seen what Gail Rao's capable of. He, he's led the IPL in scoring, like, what, twice as an opener? So who knows? If he finds his form, like, it's also hard to argue against that. But that being said, obviously, like, IPL domestic, you know, World Cup different. But, yeah, I mean, both are, you know, valid options to have. And Shikhar, maybe, like, talking about the ODIs today, he found his form. Um, and you know you know what ICC Shikhar can do. So... Again, like I said, like I said earlier in the podcast, it's really a plethora of options. That's not a bad problem to have. And even KL Rahul today, he played like a T twenty like innings there at the end of the match, and he was phenomenal. So, I I think you're writing him off a little too quickly, given all that he's accomplished so far. I'm not writing him off. I think he still has a chance to be that opener, and if he performs well in the IPL, I personally. If I was selecting the starting 11, I would back him over Shikhar Dhawan because the numbers speak for themselves. I'm just saying, if you asked me to make this call right now, I wouldn't be able to make that call because there's no defense for the form that he was in during this series. I mean, he got yanked ultimately in, I believe, the last uh, last T20 match because uh, there was a question about whether he would keep playing and Goalie basically said something along the lines of, you know, if I'm in poor form or if Rohit's in poor form, you know, we don't get thrown out of the lineup. So why would Gail Rahul get thrown out of the lineup? Ultimately, he did get thrown out. So that was basically a bold-faced lie. But I think it's hard to come off that string of scores and then still be your first choice for the opening role. I mean, it's and it's not, you know... It's not a role where you can plug and play guys and it's sort of you hope for the best every time a guy's out there. It's a, it's a key for India given the way their team is constructed. So I think it, it, it hinges entirely on what they do in the IPL. And KL Rahul has performed in the IPL. So maybe he gets his form back and maybe, 
you know, he proves that all the naysayers wrong and, and takes that opening spot again. But I think it hinges entirely on this IPL season. One more big performer who came back for India in this series was Bhuvneshwar Kumar. We haven't seen him in a long time. I believe he had an injury at the last IPL that kept him sidelined for a significant amount of time. But he came back and he was, I think, clearly the best bowler for India in this series, the best pace bowler at least in this series. And it's nice to have that option for India knowing what he's capable of in T20 matches in particular when it comes to limiting runs. He was excellent at that and he looks like he's 100% healthy. How good was it for India fans to see Bhuvneshwar Kumar back in in full form? Uh, he's really a good veteran presence. You know, he's not the, the tallest or the quickest uh, or the swingiest bowler, but he's crafty, he's wily. He has all of the, the match uh, situational awareness you need in the T20 match. You know, he has those variations. So I think that's definitely good for the younger bowlers. The debutants all did well, and I'm sure Bhuvneshwar had, had a, a, like, you know, like a say or some advice in that. Yeah, agreed. It's really great to see him back, you know, a long way off. I think there are a few times in the middle there where he may have rushed back just to, to get back playing and maybe not lose his spot in the Indian team. And I think that unfortunately cost him a few times with some more, you know, successive injuries, maybe potentially caused by the fact that he wasn't fully recovered. So it's nice to see him take a longer break. He, he really came back strong and, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a great, great addition for the World Cup team. I think he knows how to adapt to a lot of situations. He has all that experience and he's faced the best batsman in the world for a long time. So good to see him back. And he's got a whole lot of uh, exciting youth bowlers to mentor as well. Absolutely. You talk about the youth that India is infusing into the side. A lot of Mumbai Indians players in particular are featuring in the starting 11. We'll talk about Ishan Kishan, Surya Kumar Yadav, Rahul Chahar even got in on the action. It's nice to see that IPL influence finally come in to the international side. It doesn't always translate and hasn't always translated but for the most part, it looks like India now has some significant middle order options, which they may have lacked in previous World Cups. How huge is it to have guys like Surya Kumar Yadav and Ishan Kishan in there for India now to plug into that middle order when they have this T20 experience uh, heading into a World Cup? Well, as sad as I have to say this, uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, not necessarily youth because he's 30, but uh, I think it's really key to bring in this fresh talent, you know, so-called homegrown talent. Uh, Surya Kumar has, you know, proven that he can do it in different international tours. Obviously, he's proven in the IPL for Mumbai. But I think it's, I think it's, especially a home World Cup where these guys have played in the IPL for years. Uh, you, you can't really ask for better. We don't even know if these guys are going to get a chance to play in the World Cup. Ishan Kishan, Surya Kumar Yadav, just because of how talented this Indian side is. And, you know, after the IPL, like we've been talking about, there's going to be a lot of people who are coming off extremely good form, and it may not be these guys. So anything can change here. But I think the the big takeaway here, for me at least, is that there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of good players, young players. Um, I should mentioned Surya Kumar is a little bit older, but there's still a lot more talent in the line. It gives the experience that they're getting, gives them the hunger to continue to perform in the IPL now that they know that, hey, the Indian team is looking at me and it's given me a shot that I want to keep playing. So this is real. I think this will benefit them a lot. And, you know, injuries happen. Like we've seen now, Shreya Sire got hurt today. And, you know, he's been a mainstay in the middle order for the limited overs teams. And, you know, we don't know how long he's going to be out. So, you know, that's, that's going to open up opportunities moving forwards. And, you know, there's probably going to be more injuries later down the line as well. So the more talent that's able to step up, the better. One more thing, just for comedic value. Rishabh Bunt was basically yapping behind the stump mic in the last three T20s, and you could hear it because there was no crowd. And he was basically giving advice, and I won't translate everything, but he was basically telling the bowler how to bowl to specific batsmen. And it didn't really work out. It, it was so bad to a point where one of the commentators said, 
whatever advice Rishabh Bunt is giving from behind the stumps is not working. And do you feel like that's some of that Dhoni influence or that image that he has of MS Dhoni coaching up bowlers from behind the stumps that he's trying so hard to to conjure that up? Or is this just naturally him and he just gives bad advice to bowlers? Because, I mean, he... He was giving advice and bowlers were getting sent out of the ground. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I'll say that's a big difference between the two is that Rishabh Bunt has spoken more words behind the stumps in his first 10 T20 matches than Dhoni has in his career. I mean, that guy's <laughs> just all the time. Dhoni is definitely a completely different person, very calm and collected. Of course, he talks to his bowlers once in a while, but it'll be, you know, one piece of advice maybe every few overs. Other than that, he is very calm and collected behind there, so... I think this is just Richard Hunt's personality. He's just a goofy person. He's back there just yapping. That's just how it naturally comes to him. I think he's just, yeah. Of course, uh, maybe he should keep quiet based on the fact that the bullish were just getting trashed after yeah, part of that might have been that uh, the younger bowlers give a little more respect to his opinion rather than I'm sure Bhuvanesh or Kumar wouldn't give a shit about what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got nothing to add to that. Yeah, I think Anish pretty much summed it up there. Yeah, he did. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at some other teams around the world who are vying for that T20 World Cup, and we'll try to power rank these teams heading into that T20 World Cup, which will be in India this year. You're listening to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Back here on the Follow On Podcast on followoncricket.com. Let's take a look at some other teams around the world in T20s and try to power rank them heading into this T20 World Cup, which is so important after a long pause due to the pandemic and rescheduling tours. We are getting that World Cup. It will be held in India. It was originally going to be held in India in 2021. The 2020 World Cup, which was scrapped, will be held in Australia in 2022. But we'll talk about some of these other teams. The reigning champions, West Indies, had a T20 series against Sri Lanka. They won that series two games to one. And after the first match in which Kyron Pollard joined some exclusive company by hitting six sixes in one over. People were talking about them as the reigning T20 champs to never write them off in a T20 match, basically showcasing why they are the reigning champions in the format. And then immediately in the next game, they they lost and looked very uh, unconvincing. And we talked about the consistency of the West Indies I know Shea always considers, he said, you know, on one of our podcasts said they should always be considered a dark horse T20 championship contender. Would they still be high up there on your guys' list of T20 World Cup contenders, given that they are the reigning champs and given that they did win in India? Or do you think that they have slipped down a notch from some of those previous teams that lifted the trophy? So high up there, maybe not. Uh, I think there's probably three maybe four i would say three or yeah three squads that are better than them depth wise and you know cohesiveness wise uh that being like england india and new zealand but you know west indies i, yeah, I still stand by that it was still called a dark horse uh they did win in india you're right so if the guys who if the guys play if the guys uh, mesh well together and they're able to get their actual stars that I'm sure their stars will actually play in the World Cup, you know, not talking about bilateral test series here. Uh, I think they could still make a make a run for it. So I think, as we all know, the, the most variance in terms of performance comes in T20 just because of the fact that, you know, you have to go after the bowlers. There's a lot of you know, random shots being played. It's way less, you know, a lot, lot more outcomes that can come out. But I think the variance that the West Indies has is definitely the greatest in international cricket, for sure, in this T20 format. I mean, the, the downside is huge. They can lose matches pretty badly to bad teams, and they can beat the best team handily on any given day. So I think just their roster makes them that much more variable than every other team. And so would I put them as a top three? I wouldn't put them as top three either. Um, but, you know, like I said, anything can happen in a T20 World Cup. We've seen some... Some teams who are not the favorites come out to the final and 
even win in the past. Yeah, I agree. They're the biggest wild card in the format that's the biggest wild card. So they always will have a shot. And this is the, if they're going to win in a format, it's going to be this format. I agree with that. And I think that IPL experience really helps them and is going to help them this year. I think, like Ashe said, the big guns will show up for a World Cup, so they'll at least have that going for them. And I think some of these younger players like Shimron Hetmeyer and Nicholas Buren are going to get a go at it as well. And this IPL is going to be huge for them to try to gain some confidence. And I like what they've done in terms of getting some of these younger players into the squad and having them sort of be anchors for some of the more explosive players in the T20 side. I don't know if Shai Hope is going to get a go. I hope he does. I think he is a vital player given some of the extremes that they can have with some of their other guys. I do think that he should be in the side and he can be that accumulator for them, similar to what Marlon Samuels was in the World Cup when the West Indies did go on to win it. So I think Shea Hope will be an important piece of that puzzle for them. I wouldn't have them in the top three. I don't know if they make my top five even. They may be number five, but I think there's three teams clearly ahead. And I think there's a couple teams who are right there with them because, as Part said, they have a huge range of outcomes. But I think ultimately they're going to be in good form because of the IPL. On the flip side, Sri Lanka, this disaster just keeps on going. How do you even stop this? What What is there to kind of fix? I don't even know what you fix. I'm kind of at a loss for myself. Uh, time. Time and practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. time. It, it seems like this period that's just not going to end. I don't know what they do next. Time, money, less corruption uh, by the selectors, you know. Yeah, I think Jaminda Vas abruptly quitting due to some board demands or who knows what's going on. He told one thing, the board said something else. There's a lot of problems there. And yeah, Parth, Anish, Ashay, you guys all hit it on that. It's not going to be solved anytime soon. So that's just kind of, that's kind of an interesting team to watch out for. We'll see how they perform or who steps up, but it's going to be a while for them. Let's go down under now to Australia and New Zealand. They had a very good T20 series themselves recently that went three games to two to New Zealand and some interesting names popping up for the Kiwis in that series. Martin Guptill and Ish Sodi leading the team in runs and wickets respectively, but some new New Zealand players coming into the side, most notably Devin Conway. He was the big performer for them. New Zealand is sort of introducing some of these younger players in as well and sort of taking that approach that India has adopted and England sort of pioneered as having different players in different sides for the for the three formats. Is New Zealand a big threat to India and England in this T20 World Cup? I, I assume we all have India and England as the top two sides. Yep, we do. Uh, at least I do. And But yeah, no, I think New Zealand is still definitely a huge threat. Um, they have a, a bunch of talent. I think, Shinmai, you mentioned Nichols earlier. I mean, they have a lot of those those middle-order batsmen who can really click and just hit the ball extremely hard. So um, it, they have a lot of run-scoring power. They have great bowling. Uh, they have smart bowlers. And then, you know, Kane Williamson is really able to anchor in innings and play all 20 while still scoring, you know, ending up scoring at a strike rate of 150. And we've seen him be extremely consistent. So I think over the course of a tournament, a player like Kane only gets better. Their batting only gets better. And, you know, the bowling is extremely talented to begin with. So, yeah, they're definitely a threat to those top two teams. They're built similar to England. They just haven't got uh, – they haven't had as much success yet. But, yeah, the model that they're building there is looking eerily similar to what we've seen uh, in England. On the flip side, Australia had a strong series as well. And Aaron Finch really got his mojo back. He was the leading run scorer for Australia in that series. We know about Glenn Maxwell. We know about some young Australian talent that is coming up through the Big Bash that should shine at the T20 World Cup as well. Australia seems almost like this forgotten side to a certain extent, but we know that they have star performers and and they're going to be vying for this World Cup as well. How much stock do you put in Australia's T20 side and their chances at this World Cup? I mean, given Australia's talent history, 
uh, the ability to just pull clutch performances. Uh, you can obviously never count them out in any tournament, but I don't think they have the depth uh, or even the form that would you know put them as a favorites in this tournament in India. So I, I, I don't know if teams are scared of them or not anymore, but I think they're not the prime Australian teams that were playing in the mid to late 2000s. There's no lineup of death. Uh, I'll give you that. There's no fear factor with that. Yeah, I'm not scared of a bowling lineup of Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson, Daniel Sams, and Adam Zampa. That doesn't scare anybody. You you basically the batting that you know if I mean you know C twenty form is questionable. It's not anywhere close to his test form, but you know Warner Maxwell could pop. Like they do have some big hitters, but I just don't know. Like like I mentioned earlier, like the depth is not there to consistently put up a total that their bowlers can defend. Me, I'm still struggling with recency bias just because of that last IPL. We had zero Australian players who did even remotely well in that entire tournament. So it's it's hard to maybe Stoinis. You know, Stoinis was pretty good, but still he was even he was inconsistent and you know got up for zero first ball in that final. So yeah, no one really performed, and that was in India or you know last time there Indian type subcontinent type conditions. So just based on that, we'll see what happens in this IPL. Maybe. They'll be on the uptrend a little more. But as of now, it just seems like they're not really a threat, like everyone's been saying. Anish, I guarantee you those four bowlers that you named, that will not be the uh, the starting four for the Australian lineup. Maybe Zampa gets in there. But those other three, I don't think those are, are Australia's first choice pacers. We'll, we'll see what eventually wow. they roll out. But I don't think those three guys are going to be uh, in the running for, for top three Australia pace options at the T20 World Cup. We'll wrap it up here real quick. Just power rank the top four teams heading into the World Cup. I think India, England is, is one and two for me. And I think those are the clear cut, um, sort of favorites, co-favorites, if you will. Uh, so I'll go India, England as my top two. And then I'll go New Zealand and I'll go Australia as my number four. I think West Indies are, are a little too inconsistent for my liking. I think Australia has enough firepower still uh, to get it done. So I'll go India, England, New Zealand, Australia as my top four heading into the T20 World Cup. Top three, I'll agree with you. India, England, New Zealand. Throw a wrench in there and I'll say West Indies for four. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up even more. So I'm going to agree with the top three. And I'm going to say Pakistan is the fourth. I think they've been in good form. They have... Bob Azam is, you know, one of the top T20 batsmen. They have a lot of firepower with their bowling. They'll be able to know the conditions coming into this tournament. They'll be used to them. Um, and they've had T20 tournament success in the past. So I, I put them in as a sleeper number four in this tournament. Yeah, I I was thinking about Pakistan as well, but I'm going to go with West Indies. I'm going to go with Ashe. I think if I'm truly thinking about who, after those top three teams, which team has the best chance to be in the semifinals, I'm going to go with West Indies. That does it for us here on this episode of the Follow On Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, follow us on social media, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back soon with an IPL preview. Tournament is just around the corner. 